We are in Numbers chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, I will invite you to turn there. And I want you to think as we start this morning about what it's like for a song to get stuck in your head. Okay, so I hear groans. Yeah, it, it, you keep hearing it in your head over and over. It's like it, it was on the radio, you could just turn it off, but you can't turn it off because it's in your head. And it just goes over and over and over and starts to get on your nerves and you wish you could just make it go away. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe it's not even a song you like. Isn't that the worst? It's a song you don't even like and it's just in your head. There are, there are some songs, this is a little bit just personal here, but there are some songs that my wife does not like at all. There are some songs that is like, that's just a dumb song, I don't like that song. Which for me, is an invitation for me to sing that song to see if I can get it stuck in her head. Or whenever it comes on the radio, she'll tell you, whenever it comes on the radio, I can think of several songs right now. What I do is turn it up, right? I'm hoping that it gets stuck in her head. I just, I think that's, I think that's funny. So anyhow, what is it about hearing something over and over and over again that we don't like? On the other side, how much do you love repeating yourself? Isn't that the greatest? Isn't that like many of your prayer requests at the top of the list? Lord, if I could just repeat myself 500 times today, that would be awesome. The reality is that there are many, many reasons why someone might not have heard what you said, but it's still frustrating to start over, to, to repeat yourself. And on top of that, if you have to say it over and over again to an employee or a friend or a husband, a spouse, or a student, or your children. Like, there are all of these zones in our life where we're trying to communicate, and for some reason, communication is difficult. And when you have to repeat yourself over and over again, it can challenge you to keep your Christianity, right? Like, to, to, to keep things under control. They say that repetition is the key to learning, but it is also a very quick pathway to bursts of anger, isn't it? to have to say something over and over, or to hear something over and over again. So I want to say today, as we look at this story, since we've all experienced the frustration of repeating ourselves, I want to say that today's story teaches us profoundly how patient God is with His people. Because again, He repeats Himself. He is interested in showing you what you should do and so passionate about it that he cares that you know what he wants you to do that he will work to make it clear even if it means repeating himself over and over and over again he works to make his will for us clear and memorable Maybe that's not been your experience. Maybe, as I say, God wants you to know His will. God wants you to know His way, and it matters to Him that you do. Maybe you're going, I don't, I've been looking for God to lead me, and I just can't seem to hear Him. I can't seem to find Him. Never seem to be able to figure out what I ought to do. Maybe today can help you understand why. Because we're going to look at, over the past few, months, few weeks, we've seen the Lord repeat Himself over and over to Israel. And yet it seems like it is constantly a struggle for them to figure out what they should do or what they shouldn't do. They just can't seem to grab a hold of it. 
And so today what we see is that God creates a symbol so that they can remember what he has said and what they are supposed to do and what they are not supposed to do. Kind of like the symbols that we are going to use at the end of the service. We are going to use symbols to remind us a physical object that has a spiritual meaning. And as we interact with that symbol, it is supposed to speak to our souls about things that we know but that are not quite tangible. You can't quite put your fingers on them, but we need to remember them anyway. So we use a symbol physically to remind us of something spiritually. This symbol that we'll see today was meant to help God's people know Him, know His will, and stay on track. It was meant for them to know who He was, what He was asking them to do, what He was instructing them to do, and how to go forward. I would say for all of us, God does things like this for us personally. He shows up in our life in a way, in a moment, where He leads in such a clear way that that we know that was God. Can you think of a time in your life where God did something and it was so clear that was God? Those are the spots that hopefully we can hold on to and refer back to when we kind of feel like, where are you, God? Maybe it was a deliverance in your life from something that you couldn't seem to break free from. Maybe it was provision in a time of great need. Maybe it was comfort in a time of great loss. Maybe it was courage in a time of great fear. Whatever it was where God showed up in your life, in that moment, we know how clear God is and how clear He can be. And I'm saying to us, we're supposed to hold on to that. Personally, when God does that for you. But there are other things we do that we do together to try to hold on to what God does for us. Like, for example, what we just did. We come together to worship. And in worshiping, we are supposed to be holding on to who God is, what He wants for us, and how we can go forward. It is supposed to be a reminder and a refresher from those things. Physical things, baptism, the elements of the Lord's Supper, physical things that are meant to help us know Him, know His will, and stay on track. So we're going to pick up in chapter 17 of verse numbers, uh, chapter 17 of numbers, verse 1, and we're going to Follow the story off of last week. We're not given a time frame for how long this is after all of that judgment, the plague that we saw last week, the ground opening up and the fire out from the presence of the Lord the week before that, all of this in the rebellion of Korah. And so this is kind of the finish of that story of the rebellion of Korah. It is connected to those rebellions and to the judgment that Israel has just witnessed. So now, before what we saw is these rebellious people came to God. And they said, God, we got a problem. Actually, they didn't say that. They said, Moses, we got a problem with you. They said to the people, why should we follow him? He's no better than us. We're not even sure God chose him. So we went through all of that story in chapter 16. So now we come to 17 and God initiates. God has a plan and he gives Moses instructions on what to do. So read with me verses 1 to 5. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. Get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout 
and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Now, you could take that last statement and say God was mistaken. I think God is saying that's the purpose for this. That's the invitation to this. He will rid himself of this grumbling. Like shortcut to the rest of the story. He didn't. <laughs> but we don't come back to this issue. We, get, we have all kinds of other issues. But we don't come back to this issue about who should be the priest and who should enter the presence of God. So God's plan is this. I want you to take each staff from one of the leaders. You've got 12 tribes of Israel. I want the leader of each tribe, I want you to take his staff. So we're talking about a stick that they were used as a walking stick as they wander around the wilderness, as they tend their, their animals and all that stuff. But it is a stick that is worn. It's not go out and cut down a fresh branch. It's a stick that has been used. As we saw with Moses, it is a stick that God started to use as a symbol of authority, as a symbol of his presence, as a symbol of his work. Ironically, a dead stick randomly picked up somewhere because of the shape of it, the size of it, the weight of it, whatever, turns into a place where God says, I'm going to show you my power. So here we have each, go around to the, the heads of each tribe. Go, go to the guy who's in charge or the guy who's leading each tribe and get their staff, the, their hardened, old, dead staff. The word staff is actually the same word for tribe. If, as, if you read it in the Hebrew, the word repeats. It's, it's staff, staff, or tribe, tribe, or the tribe from each staff. Because the word branch or the word stick or the word staff is the same exact word as the word tribe. And so God says, I'm going to use this stick to represent each tribe. It's kind of like God says, okay, here's, here's the deal. We, this question just keeps coming up. And, and we just had all this stuff happen because of that question. So let's do this. Let's get a, a stick from everybody and let's see which branch of the children of Israel God is going to use. Right? Like, which branch of the family tree is God going to use? We, we'll clarify it since that seems to be a repeated question. So put them in God's presence. In chapter 16, we saw them come into God's presence a couple times, and it wasn't good. This time, God says, bring the staffs and put them in my presence. God initiates a whole different direction. And he says, when you do, I will make one of these dead sticks sprout with life. It will be a clear sign of my choice. Each tribe, by, by means of their leader, will be a part of this test so that there is no question among the whole of Israel what I want you to do. Sometimes I get really like passionate about stuff like this because I feel like God's character gets dragged through the mud when we read the Old Testament sometimes. People are so flippant and so careless about what they say about him, about what he's like and who he is. So we get to a story like this, and I'm like, do you not see what God is doing here? With a people who are determined to be rebellious, God is coming to them and saying, you keep telling me that it's not clear who should lead, even though I've made it clear to you who should lead. So we're going to come back, and I'm going to again Make it clear who should lead. Do you think that there was legitimately a question about Aaron being the high priest and Levi being the tribe to minister in the tabernacle? No, there isn't. As we read the story thus far, and if we actually took the time to read through Leviticus and some of the stuff of the law in, in Numbers here, 
the, the reality is it's abundantly clear. You know what's ironic for us as people? There are times where we're like, God, why wouldn't you be clear? But you know what we also do? Has anybody ever tried reading through the Bible and like when you get to Leviticus, you're just like, I can't keep up, man. Just bored. I can't. This animal and that animal, whatever. Do you know what bores you? How clear God is. Then we're like, God, why you got to ruin all my fun? Why you got to tell me all the things to do? Why can't you just let me be? Do we want him to be clear or not? You see? God can't win with us. God, just back off and let me do whatever I want. God, why won't you let, tell me what to do? It's like, which do you want? Sometimes we don't have the stamina to hear God be clear because we don't like what he's saying, which is what is at the root of this whole rebellion. The Levites certainly died in judgment, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. But even in that confrontation, Moses says to them, you are the people who have been chosen to minister in the tabernacle. They just wanted to minister in a different way. They wanted to be priests instead of servants. So God plans a sign. And the question that I want you to see today is, when you read something like that, well, that's weird. God's just showing off. He's making sticks bloom. Okay, whatever. What is the heart of God that's revealed in this? The heart of God is that He wants His people to know. He finds a way to be clear. He gives them an invitation to keep the question settled. Instead of leaving it an open question, he says, let's settle it. It teaches us about who God is because the rebellions have given the Lord little time to do anything except pour out judgment and confrontation. So as soon as they get a breath, God comes rather to initiate this message to Israel in grace, in kindness. It's not that he hasn't been clear, but his goodness drives him to go beyond what needed to be done to offer them an opportunity to respond with, to what they should have been doing all along. And in that, we see the patience and long-suffering of God. That's, the thing that bothers me about that is that when we read stories like this, people are like, God is just so angry and so ready to like smash the smite button. And what's wrong with God? And I'm so scared of God. That's actually where this story winds up. You'll see at the end, the people are like, oh, no, God's going to get us. They miss the point of the character of God which is, here he comes again to say, now, I want to be clear with you what you should do. This patience, long-suffering of God is a theme in Scripture. We see him talked about as the God, the Lord who is slow to anger. We see it in Exodus. We see it on Mount Sinai. We see it a few chapters before this in Numbers. We see it in Nehemiah's prayer when the people come back from captivity. We see it in the Old Testament prophets. We see it all through the book of Psalms. The Lord is slow to anger. We see other themes like this. His love endures forever. In fact, one Psalm, I think it's Psalm 36 or 136, it just repeats it over and over again. His love endures forever. Every verse, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. He is described as full of mercy or merciful. And so when we come and we see God's judgment poured out, it's easy to say He is something else. But God's people throughout history have known Him as a Lord who is slow to anger, a Lord whose love endures forever, a God who is merciful and full of mercy. Don't ever let that slip from you. Because when it does, it's the enemy coming to you and says, is that really what God's like to you? 
I mean, that's what he was like to these good people, but you're not a good person. God's really mad at you. God's really upset with you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Let me crush you with guilt. Let me convince you that God doesn't like you very much. That's why the words are written down. That's why stories like this are written down, because he is gracious, compassionate, and kind. And these people have rebelled and hardened their hearts. And how does God show up? When he initiates it, not when he's responding to the rebellion, but when he initiates it, how does he show up? Let me make it clear to you, and let me invite you to follow me. People of God, I hope that we can learn some things from this. One of the things I think we should learn is this. Don't leave open a question that God has clearly and repeatedly answered for you. There is all kinds of trouble down that road, and we just keep walking it. I'm praying about whether I should blah, blah. You don't have to pray about that. I don't know if I should live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. You don't have to pray about that. You shouldn't. Right? I don't know if I should be honest on my taxes. You should. You know, I don't, like, I don't know if it's okay if I just get mad all the time and, and pour out my anger. It isn't okay. Like, you know, these things are clear in the Word of God, and God has probably confronted you on some of them again and again and again. Don't leave open a question that God has answered. Some of the reason God stops talking to us is because we don't listen. As a matter of fact, if you really pursue God sometimes, you're like, God, my, my life feels like it's falling apart. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what, how to figure this out and you feel like God is silent with you, it may be because the first thing he would say to you is a discussion that you have kind of muted. And you're like, okay, are we talking again? Okay, can we get back to that thing I was talking to you about? Like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this thing. God's like, I'm not getting to that until we deal with the thing that I know you need. He waits patiently. Don't leave open a question God has clearly and repeatedly answered. The other lesson I hope that we can get from this, and this is one of those things that I think helps us as believers. I heard this when I was in, in college, and I just, I hold on to it, and it's this. Don't undo, in a moment of doubt, what God settled in a time of clarity and conviction. God shows you something, and you know it, and then later on, it's like, I don't know what to do about this. That's your answer, isn't it? I don't know what to do about this. Isn't there an answer in that? So I got to go back to what God already showed me, right? No, 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 I, it's all up for grabs. I think, like that, that reality for us is that the enemy will come and try to cloud things up. What I want us to see today is that God isn't working in confusion. That's, let's keep going here, verses 6 to 9. Moses does what God asks. Verse 6, so Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for, each, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. And Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. So this is not a subtle sign. This is a really clear sign. Moses goes in after the staffs had been before the presence of the Lord all night, brings out the 12 staffs, and all 11 of them just look like dead old sticks. And one of them looks like it's just gotten cut off of an almond tree in full bloom. 
We're not told that it's the time for the blooming of almonds, but it doesn't really matter. This tree's not planted. It's not alive. And the process between budding and then flowering and then producing almonds and ripening almonds is a much longer process than overnight. So God was not subtle. And I think that that's the thing that I want us to hear here. God, when he wants to lead you, when he wants to be clear with you, he's not subtle. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He's very, very clear. Look for the clarity. If you want to know where God is leading, look for the clarity because God works in clarity. In this, it was something only God could do. And for that, it was important because then the people would know that this wasn't a trick Moses had played. I'm going to have a red stick come out. And they're like, oh, you just painted that stick red. No, it's a tree that came to life miraculously. It's a, it's a staff that turned into a tree. It was clear that God was the one doing this. And, it, and why was God clear about that? Because he was inviting them into a relationship with him. When it's clear that God does something, there's always one thing he's doing, and that is to invite you into a relationship with him. By the way, side note, you know there's all this big discussion all for all time about creation, and is it seven days or is it 10 billion years or whatever, like, when God can make a, tr a staff produce almonds overnight, if, if a scientist came and looked at that, they might easily say, well, this clearly has just gotten cut off a tree that has been growing for the past six months or whatever. I wonder sometimes if, if we impose our limitations of understanding on trying to figure out what is said in the Word of God. Anyway, that's all to the side. God does what only God can do to be clear with us, to lead us. And oftentimes, it comes in a time when we're discouraged or afraid because the clarity comes when there's nothing we can do. And that melts us down. But have you ever considered that God puts you in an impossible situation so that he can show you he's at work doing something only he can do? And when he does, he's always inviting us into that trusting relationship with him, offering us peace, hope, joy, rest. He's offering us to come and be connected. This sign of almond trees and almonds in the tabernacle, if you go back and you do a, a deep dive into almonds, you'll find that they represent a lot of things. There are a lot of things that formed in the shape of almonds in the tabernacle and later in the temple. They represented watchfulness. Kind of like almonds are, pay attention, keep your eyes open, don't, don't fall asleep here. That's the idea of almonds. Part of it's because almonds were known to be the earliest trees to bud and blossom in the spring. So for people who are farmers and agricultural, it represented something's about to happen. Spring is here. Things are going to start blossoming. It was a sign for farming people that they were very familiar with. And so God says, I'm going to show you here with Aaron's rod that, pay attention, I'm about to bring renewal. I'm about to show my power. I'm about to form a nation unlike any nation on this earth for my glory. I'm about to do something if you'll let me. I'm about to do it. Are you ready? He uses almonds to call them to attentiveness, to call them into his work. 
My leader and my way are now clear. And you're just at the start of coming to life. Don't make the mistake of going back to what brought death. Sometimes when God is at work in your life, the enemy comes to try to snatch it away, doesn't he? And we, we, we feel it, we, we get the anticipation of it, we get the excitement of it, and then here comes the enemy, and we miss it. God is at work in us. Pay attention. So he hands these staffs, Moses takes all these staffs, hands them to the leaders of the tribes, and they all examine. When it says they looked on him, the word is examined. And they were all convinced that God had performed this miracle, that it wasn't some human forgery, it wasn't a trick. And in that, it, it just shows again that God is a God who works in clarity. If you're struggling with what God wants to do, I want to tell you, God is a God who works in clarity. I want us to know He's not trying to hide from you. God is not trying to confuse you. It may feel like that because you're confused, but that's not the work of God. It is not God's way to work by confusing us and leaving us hanging. You won't find a time in Scripture where God worked to lead His people by throwing them into confusion and saying, figure it out. See if you can find me. Instead, what we see here, we see throughout the story of God's people, God works in clarity, and he still works like this in us. So if you're in a spot where you're confused and you're like, God, what do I do? Ask yourself this. By the grace of God, what do I know? What's for sure? Start there. Because when you tune into what you know, you're starting to tune into the voice of God. Do I know I'm supposed to be here? Do I have any other options? Like, what do I know for sure? That's where I start seeing the hand of God. In your prayer time, God, please, please show me, please show me. Are you asking God to do what you think makes sense? Or are you asking him to help him see whatever he wants you to do? See, the problem for the Israelites, why they are still confused, is because they want to lead themselves. The problem with the Israelites is not that God hasn't been clear. It's that they're not listening because what God is saying is not what they want. Sometimes we use prayer as a way to tell God what you've suggested I do not want. Sometimes we do veto prayers. God, you've done this. I say no, so do something else, please. That is not the purpose of prayer. That doesn't work. See, God is coming to us and saying, here's my plan for you. Will you surrender? Will you, will you come into a trusting relationship with me? I've showed you the path. Now, will you walk it? And when we say no, like the children of Israel, we bring devastation and destruction into our life. We wind up confused. But it wasn't because God wasn't clear. And for the Israelites, it was because they weren't willing to own the clarity that God had already given them. One last thing. I want to do the final part of God's heart here in verses 10 to 13. Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Did you see that? This is not God like I'm fed up. This is God, I don't want anyone else to die. So take the staff put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant as a sign. And so Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. The Israelites said to Moses, We will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? They missed it again, didn't they? God says to his people, All right, 
that whole thing with Korah and, and that whole rebellion and the plague, that was awful. Can we not go back there? Let's not go back there again. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a miracle in front of you. I, I will initiate it, and I will make it visible, and I will make it memorable, and I will make the meaning of the symbol clear so that you can hold on to it so that we don't have to come back here. Now take the staff of Aaron's that, that produced almonds, put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant so that it's there as a remembrance for all time that I have spoken on this. It's clear. All you need to do is follow me. Christians, where has God worked in clarity in your life that you need to remember? See, I don't think God's done calling us to remember what he said. Where has God worked in clarity that you need to remember? And how can you use the physical stuff to remember who God is and what he's done? The Israelites fixated on the warning, not the reason for the warning. Oh, no, we're all going to die. We can't. Do you think God wanted them to be scared of worshiping? Which is what they are now. Oh no, if we come near the temple, we're all going to die. That's not the point of the warning, is it? They fixated on the warning instead of the reason for it. We misunderstand God's work and how our own self-will and pride cause fallout. And therefore, we mistakenly get scared of God instead of running to Him. Israel is still confused. Israel is still lost. They couldn't take the symbols that they had and hold on to the meaning. I hope the symbols that we are about to witness today have a meaning that we can hold on to. So I'm going to invite you to leave your stuff where it is and find a spot around the edges of this room. We'll just try to leave the, the stage open here in front. As we begin, we'll start by passing some cups around. Yeah, if you need to sit, just feel, like, feel free to grab a seat along the edges there somewhere. We're going to pass the cups. Take one if you're going to participate. Pass them by if you're not. And as they come around, before we start serving, I just want to make a little connection to what we have been studying for this moment that we are in. The symbols that we are going to hold in our hands, the symbols that we are going to partake in a second, are just like the symbols God gave Israel. They are to remind us who God is, what He wants us to do, and how we go forward from here as believers. Who God is, what He wants us to do, and how we go forward. There's been a lot in the Word of God here about coming into the presence of God. In this story, coming into the presence of God was something that they took for granted and they did wrongly and it caused judgment to pour out. It is even in the presence of God now that God is showing them who should come into the presence of God. It is a very holy, sacred thing to come into God's presence. But I, as we stand here today, do you realize that it's a whole different deal for us? That God has invited you into his presence? Isn't that amazing? The author of Hebrews tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us come with confidence into the throne room. And we can do that 
because of the symbols that we hold and what they mean, what they represent, and what, what they re- reflect. The sacrifice that we are about to observe was the price to enter the holy presence of God, and he paid it for us. He made it clear what love looks like, doesn't he? When you hold the bread in your hands, when you rip that piece off, this is my body broken for you. He made it clear what love looks like. He made it clear what leading looks like. So different than the way we humans tend to try to lead. He showed us who he is. He showed us how he feels about us. He showed us what he wants for us. And he invites us to receive life from him. So, as we observe communion this morning, let's not leave the question open about who God is, what he wants, and how we go forward. What we will hold in our hand are symbols that tell us and teach us exactly what we need to know about all of those things. Let's do this in remembrance of him.